welcome you that are the early birds here. I know it's hard when it's cool to finish breakfast and get the dishes and stuff put away. And when you're camping, everything is a little more complicated. Um, when I worked in Northern California, we would take a group of pastors backpacking uh, every summer. And we would go up in the Russian wilderness or the Trinity Alps or Mount Lassen area. And um, we would do kind of a spiritual thing in that we would go on Sunday and leave on Wednesday morning so we could all get back to do prayer meeting. But we did a kind of a, a sheet that gave each pastor a passage and he would be encouraged to go out for an hour or two and think and pray and read and memorize that passage and pray about it. And then we would come back together late morning and we would uh, share what we felt the Lord was telling us out of that passage. And we had some really rich times uh, with that, uh, with pastors from summer to summer. And uh, we uh, are glad to be here. And this is our last presentation. And we're going to begin. And I'm going to ask my wife, Darlis, to, to pray for us. Father in heaven, we thank you for the beauty of this cool morning, for the pine trees and the beautiful skies and all of the little lovely animals. And we thank you for the privilege of being here with you. We ask that you'll send your Holy Spirit here, Lord, into this place, into our hearts. Speak to us as we seek to find better ways to make reconciliation a bigger part of our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, I resonated with what was said last night by our evening speaker. We as Seventh-day Adventists, and I, I'm, I'm high on our church. I, I, yes, we're not perfect, and yes, we have problems, and yes, we are tempted by the things of the world. But I'm grateful for the wonderful principles of the Sabbath, of the second coming of Jesus, of the judgment work that's going on in heaven, of the sanctuary, the whole sanctuary doctrine that... Um, uh, and where Christ is there ministering for us. All of those are of utmost importance to us. But we cannot neglect the topic we've been trying to deal with here, and that is to be able to love each other, to resolve conflicts, to be able to confront in the spirit of Christ, and to resolve conflicts. Uh, and so I, I just want to make sure you all have one of the handouts, the worksheet. If you don't have one, raise your hand. Oh, hey, we got some customers over here. John's got them, and uh, John, maybe you could get somebody else to help you. We got some over, John, we got some folks over here that don't have them. So if you'll uh, maybe hand a couple, uh, a little handful to him, and he can give them out over there as well. And then if you don't have the Slippery Slope brochure, uh, we want to make sure everyone gets one of those because um, it, it has a wealth of information on that little threefold sheet. It's important that you keep that, I think, if you could, in your Bible and for handy reference so you will not forget the principles that we've been trying to talk about because you are charged and called by God to be a minister of reconciliation in your church, in your community, in your home, and God can help you do that. Remember, our theme has been uh, be angry and sin not. And so there has to be an anger that is not sinful. And we read a passage in Ellen White about that yesterday. Uh, we want to find uh, healthy and godly responses to anger or to situations of injustice or of uh, just cruel things or things that are said or done. Um, 
If you watched the presidential debates last night, most of you probably did not. We caught a part of it. There were a few things said that sort of fit into that category. I won't go into that. We don't want to get political. Uh, but what we began with was that we're all damaged goods and we need God's help to help us to restore broken relationships and to release people from guilt of angry words, uh, actions that are cruel or unkind, and even motives that are selfish and short-sighted. And so we are damaged goods. We need the Lord to help us. Remember we talked about the fact that Satan wants us to be selfish and opinionated and impatient and uh, to be fighting and arguing and judgmental and all of that. But I'm grateful that Jesus has called us to be ministers of reconciliation. You can be firm for what you believe, but you can do it in a kindly, firm way. Uh, being kind and a peacemaker doesn't make you a wimp. Uh, in fact, sometimes it takes the greatest courage to stay cool and not reactionary to somebody that is becoming highly volatile against maybe something that you believe and hold very dear to your heart. And so um, let's, let's let the Lord help us do that. This is up here. Okay. Um, by this all men shall know that we are his, my disciples if you have love for one another. Um, remember we talked about peace not being the absence of conflict, but a positive, proactive Christian character trait that is accompanied by joy and peace and contentment. And that's what God wants us to have. Uh, we've defined conflict, any conflict, as a difference in opinion or purpose that frustrates someone's goals or, or desires. And so uh, becoming, having our antennas up to where we can tune in to what are other people's interests, what, what are their desires, what are their expectations, so that we can work smoothly with people and not roughshod like a bull in a china closet, so to speak, uh, in the feelings of other people. We've talked about the four Gs. I won't uh, talk about that because we reviewed it already. Um, um, yeah, we're going to come to that. Okay. I'm going to, uh, I wanted to just re remind you of the seven A's of confession. Remember, if you are convicted and you take ownership and you need to go to talk to somebody, you first of all, you're to address everyone involved. Secondly, be careful not to use if, uh, buts, and maybes because they simply cast the blame on someone else. You need to be specific about the things that you are admitting or confessing. And then fourthly, you need to acknowledge the hurt that your words and actions have caused. And then accept the uh, consequences, whether it's restitution, uh, payback, correction of wrong impressions that have been made. And then we need to be willing to actually alter our behavior. So we, don't, we aren't continual repeat, uh, uh, repeat defend, uh, offenders. And number seven, ask forgiveness uh, specifically when you talk to the person. And we did add an eighth, actually, that says that you don't do this just once because they may not, not accept your first apology. You may have to visit that again until uh, and your relationship has been able to lead to the point where they, um, you can really restore that relationship. So taking time, giving time, and to repeatedly tactfully, gently be able to approach. Today we're coming to the fourth section that we need to deal with as we come to a conclusion today, and that is uh, having to do with the matter of uh, being reconciled 
uh, to your brother. And so in Matthew chapter 5, verse 24, uh, it says, First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. And we're going to show a clip right now. It's not directly related to that title, but you'll see how it plays in, I think, as we... Uh, see, i got to figure out to do what I was just told to do. Wait a minute. How do I know which one to do? The gold one, he says. Just a minute. Well, it went away. <laughs> I'm trying to do this, Merle. I think we've got it. Can you see that? Bingo. Okay. This one is kind of... Um, Tongue-in-cheek. Tongue-in-cheek. But I think you'll see it's almost like a cartoon. Did you used to enjoy cartoons? Well, this is a little bit like that, only the it's aimed at us church people. Okay? It's called the sin police. Are you a sin cop? We're not getting any sound. Wait a minute. Back it up. Sitting there with his wife. Mm-hmm. I got a feeling. That was my fault. Well, here we are on another stakeout. That's right. We got our coffee. We got some donuts and sprinkles. Well, just keep your eyes trained on that restaurant window there. You see that guy in that blue Oxford shirt? Sure, the guy with the bad hair. That's right. Yeah, the guy sitting there with his wife. Mm-hmm. I got a feeling they ain't splitting dessert tonight. They're both ordering one, and when they do... That's gluttony. Quite frankly, I don't know what this church would do without guys like you and I. Tell you what they would do. It would go to Sheol on a grease pole. This whole church is like a powder keg. That's true. And everybody's running around with ten matches. That's it could go off at any time. And the only thing keeping it, the church from falling into absolute chaos is you and I. Church discipline team. And bringing the smack down when they cross the line. I'm proud to serve with you. There's no place I'd rather be right now than keeping peace with my partner. Well, what about the time you called in sick for the parking team? Well, I was sick. I remember that was a... You went fishing. You weren't sick. If you're well enough to go fishing, you're well enough to come to church. I don't understand where this animosity is coming from. You know, I tell you, there are one or two times when I could have run you in. You're I've heard here. the way you talk to your wife. Well, the, yeah, well, I've Somebody seen. needs to address that issue. What about the time you sang in the choir and you signed up to be a baritone and everybody knows you sing deep That bass. ain't a sin. Nobody in that sure choir can sing Jim anyways. It's, it's important just making a joyful notes. noise. If there's anybody who needs church discipline, it's you. You, you <laughs> of all people. You of You're all people. You're an embarrassment to the force. Turn in your badge. You turn in your badge. Turn in your Charge of this turn in yours. You turn in yours. Hang on. You hang on. Hang on. Wait a minute. The Where's the guy? The is cleaning up the table. Well, I hope you're happy. We don't even know if he got dessert or not. You cost us busting our perps eating their dessert. Lord, I pray that you will forgive my partner. Forgive my partner. For his terrible, <laughs> his terrible awful job ways, tonight. Lord. I hope you're happy. Me? You're the one that cost us our our. our you're the one who started in arguing with me. I didn't even know what to do. <laughs> 
Uh, how's that for uh, healthy confrontation? Is that? You guys still laugh about it. You've seen it a million times. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes we can have a kind of um, a sin cop complex where we think it's our job to point out the sins of other people within the church. I'm so grateful the Holy Spirit is the one that brings conviction, aren't you? Amen. This doesn't mean there won't be times we do need to confront, but not in a manner that was uh, that was just uh, visualized in this little clip that we that we watched. We're going to talk some especially. Darlis particularly is going to go over four promises of forgiveness in a little bit, but. You'll notice that one of the passages that we've talked about is that we need to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. We need to be quick to forgive. Um, there's a statement from Gospel Workers. Well, let me back up here. Here it is, Gospel Workers 430. Deal with your brethren as you wish God to deal with you. If we expect our prayers for forgiveness to be heard... We must offer them in a forgiving spirit. We must forgive others in the same manner and in the, to the same extent that we ourselves hope to be forgiven. I like what somebody said, um, because Christians are the most forgiven people in the world, we should be the most forgiving people in the world. Uh, of whom much is you know, given, much is expected. If you've been forgiven of much, remember Jesus and the experience at Simon's house, uh, to one who has forgiven much, he should be very prone to be forgiving of other people. There are some things that forgiveness uh, is not. Forgiveness is not just a feeling. You know, sometimes, uh, you know, I don't feel like forgiving them. Well, forgiveness is a, a, a spiritual choice in the frontal lobe of your brain. Uh, Forgiveness is not uh, forgetting. Uh, you're not, you know, you, you, the Lord says your sins I will remember no more. That's selective forgetfulness, right? Well, I think we can learn to do that, but we may not be as good at it as he is. Uh, but forgiving is not just uh, a feeling and it's not uh, forgetting, nor is it excusing. You're not justifying or caving in and saying, well, I guess what he did was okay. Uh, it's none of those things, but it is a decision and act of grace. I want to give you just a few examples of that. One of one is an obvious one. When Jesus was being nailed to the cross, we've referred to this already, and he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I mean, I, that grabs me every time I think about it, because I can't hardly imagine people driving a big, even a 16-penny uh, nail through my wrist or a concrete nail whatever they used uh, as we would think of it uh, the nails that I've seen from that period were pretty rough and jagged not particularly a smooth incision but as they're driving the nails that he said father forgive them for they know not what they do I've read a book by and some of you may have read Daryl Bigger's book about I think it's a time for forgiveness uh, he and his wife, uh, they worked up in the Northwest, Adventist family. Uh, they had a daughter that was out of college, and she had taken a job back in Washington, D.C. And um, someone who had seen her broke into her apartment and molested her and stabbed her, I don't remember how many times, but killed her. 
and uh, Daryl Bigger and his wife in this book, they talk about how, how they dealt with the just overwhelming grief, how they dealt with the anger they felt toward this guy, and the guy was caught, and he went to trial, and uh, how they came to where they could not overlook, not excuse, not forget, but make the choice to forgive him even as Christ has forgiven us. I, I was just so moved by that, that book. Uh, we had an incident in Phoenix two or three years ago in which there was a, a, a family, I think it was over in Scottsdale, where a couple of siblings were in the park in the evening and uh, a young man came with a gun and pointed it at the young lady and asked for her money, her purse, and her brother jumped in front of her to protect her and the assailant pulled the trigger and it killed the brother that was protecting his sister. And in the Arizona Republic, they had the story of this Adventist family and how the parents had come to the point where they forgave the offender. Would you be able to do that? We're going to learn in what we're talking about today that forgiveness is not optional, neither is peacemaking optional. We need to forgive. It's important to our own spiritual life to forgive, no matter how wrong, uh, egregious the offense is. Um, you also remember the story of Corey Tinboom, <clears throat> who had uh, spent time in the concentration camps, and while there, her sister and I believe her father died in the concentration camps and she eventually got out and she was um, years later she was in a church uh, speaking and she saw walk in the back door of the church one that she could not forget it was one of the guards that had uh, uh, inflicted some of the punishment and the torture upon her father and her sister and others that were in the concentration camp um, after she got done speaking and she was greeting people, this man came and she hesitated to shake his hand. But she remembered, she knew all of these things we're talking about. And she said when she reached out and took his hand, it was like there was some electrical current that sealed the deal on forgiveness. Yeah, he had done some terrible things. A lot of the things that Nazis have done. Uh, yeah. But she spoke of that illustrating how forgiveness is possible through Christ dwelling in our hearts. Uh, think about this for a moment. Think of two people that are really at odds with each other. They had an argument kind of like the sin police did maybe and they just can't get along and they're faulting each other. And if you were to visualize God coming down and first of all having a time out and taking the one that is being uh, offensive that is hurting the other one, what would God tell him or her? And then suppose God were to take aside the one that was being hurt, what would God tell them? In fact, what does he tell them? Um, we need to remember that if we're on either side of that issue, God has a message of forgiveness, of conviction, of uh, the way that he can change our reactions and our actions and so that there can be reconciliation. Darlis? We all know that the major penalty for 
sin is separation from God. But the major penalty for confrontation when it is sinful is penal the penalty is separation from other people. And that's one of the things that we want to restore as we talk about reconciliation today. Forgiveness releases us from this penalty. And we need to be released. And we can be released. And we can release others from our condemnation as well. So it takes both sides of the issue, that release from the penalty of sin. Ephesians 2.13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Jesus. Sometimes we say, I forgive you, but we do not want to have anything to do with them in the future. Have any of you experienced that? You avoid them like the plague. You think, you have this feeling, I don't want to put myself in that buzzsaw again. And so you'll take a different path, you'll avoid that person. Does God forgive us in that way? No. Does he avoid us? No, he doesn't, does he? He wants to restore the relationships, to reconcile us to himself. And we want to be part of that kind of reconciliation. C.S. Lewis makes a good statement. He says, act as if you love, and soon you will. In true forgiveness, we really need to make four promises to ourselves and to others. And these are not easy promises. But first of all, I promise I will not dwell upon this incident. We talked the other day about how you can have control over your feelings, that feelings are, but that you can determine in your own heart and mind what, how you're going to react to any situation. And in this, you can promise, we need to promise that we will not dwell on this particular incident. You do have control over where your thoughts go. And you can pray when, if this hurtful experience comes into your mind, you can prayerfully ask the Lord to take it away and purposely take your mind and place it on something more positive. And we'll talk later on about, again about how you can take your mind and think about something positive about the person that you have had shared this incident with rather than the negativity of the incident itself. Then two, I promise I will not bring this incident up to use against you. In a marriage situation, it's really easy to collect trading stamps. And you say, yes, I forgive you, but the next time in the heat of the argument, you cash those stamps in. But you did this, and then you did that, and then you did the other thing. We mustn't take those tra trading stamps and hang on to them. Uh, we remember also hearing about a, a man who said that when my wife and I argue, she gets historical. <laughs> Think about it. He probably meant hysterical, but historical, what she's just talking about. <laughs> so we part, one of the promises we need to make in this instance of forgiveness is I will not bring this incident up against you. Number three, I promise I will not talk to others about this incident. This is not easy either because our feelings have been a little injured and we want other people to feel sorry for us. That ego, that, that sinful nature that is there says, I want everybody to know what I've had to put up with. And so we may tell the person we forgive them, but then we turn around and we run into somebody and they may bring up the person's name or they may even heard of the incident and say something to you and then we tell them all about it from our point of view. 
but we really need to promise that I will not talk to others about this incident and prayerfully keep that promise. And fourthly, I promise I will not allow this incident to stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. These are not easy promises. I believe we cannot do these without the Holy Spirit's help. Amen. They are not part of human nature, the sinful nature we've talked about. But God can help us, and if we forgive and keep these promises, it will be so much easier to bring real rec reconciliation. If we've experienced God's forgiveness, then we can be motivated to forgive others. Remember what the Lord's Prayer says? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. In Matthew 6:12, you know, in reality, we're just like beggars who are sharing with other people where they can go to get bread because we have been so forgiven and we need to be equally forgiving. There's a beautiful statement in Gospel Workers. It says, some of you seem to be earnestly seeking for forgiveness of sins, for freedom in God. Do you deserve the pardon that you're seeking? No, you do not. Nevertheless, God is willing to grant it freely. And dare you withhold from your brethren the forgiveness and affection of which you do not think them worthy? Would you have God deal thus with you? Boy, that's one I need to be reminded of really often, especially in times of, of conflict. This matter of forgiveness needs to be so genuine, and we have a um, clip we want to show you now. It's entitled, Yeah, We're Cool. Um, it'll explain itself. No, I gotta go, I gotta go. Hey, Phil, Phil, you got a minute? Hey, can I talk to you about yesterday? Sure, go ahead. Look, I, uh, I lost my temper yesterday. I know I did, I know I did. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have yelled at you. I know you didn't mean to be late. Okay, it's just that we're running behind and on quota. And, but anyway, I shouldn't have done it. I'm you sorry. know why I was late, right? Okay, it was a doctor's visit. There's nothing I can do about it. Phil, believe me, man, I was out of line. I'm, I'm sorry. Will you, will you forgive me? I'm sure. Let's just forget about it, okay? Phil, are you are you sure? It's fine. Okay. We're cool. Okay. Sorry. We're cool. Hey, honey, how's it going? Oh, yeah? Good, good. I'm glad you got that taken care of. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Yeah, he came by. I saw him this morning. It's like, it went okay. Yeah, I mean, he apologized. He said he was sorry for yelling and everything. So, yeah, I think we're good. <laughs> you know, he just made me look so stupid in front of the other people, you know? He has no right to do that. It's, it's not like he's my supervisor or anything. Yeah, and you know what? I, I'm just gonna stay out of his way. You know, I think that's the best thing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, we'll see. Okay. Hey, I'll see you tonight, okay? All right, I love you too, bye-bye. Hey, Bethany, how's it going? Hey, I'm good, how you doing? I'm okay, busy week, huh? Mm-hmm. Hey, Alan kinda lost it a little bit there yesterday, huh? Yeah, especially in front of everyone else. You guys okay? I think so. I mean, we talked about it. And you know what gets me is how he acts like he runs this whole place, okay? And he's just like the rest of us, okay? We're all doing the same job. 
So why does he feel like he can just unload on all of us whenever something goes wrong? Huh? I know. I think there's a lot going on with the baby and everything. He's having a pretty hard time at the moment. He isn't normally like this. Yeah, maybe, but he still shouldn't be taking that out on us. But I gotta run. But I'll see you later, okay? See you later. Hey man, how's it going? Hey Phil, I'm fine. Quick question for you. We're, uh, we're doing these overtime rosters and we're gonna need some weekend cover for yeah. the next month. How's that look for you? Uh, it's not looking good at all. Uh, Tim's got games every Saturday and that's for six more weeks, so not good. Uh, you, you can't make one work? Nope. Sorry, man. All right. Hey, sir, so you coming on Friday? No, I'm pretty busy Friday also, so that's not a very good day either. I got a lot to do, staying pretty busy, so sorry about that. Hey, Phil, are we are we cool? You seem a little distant, a little no, off. No, we're fine, man. I'm just so busy. You know how it is. Was it about Monday? Have, have you not forgiven me for that? I mean, no. look, I said I'm sorry. I don't look, know what else to do. We're good. We're good. I'm just so busy and no worries, okay? We're fine. So, okay. Let's get back to all this inventory and... Okay, we're cool. All right, thanks. Wish you were coming on Friday. What about it? Had he really forgiven him? What were some of the promises he wasn't keeping? Now, he hadn't made them granted, but what are some of the roles he crossed, rules he crossed that we just talked about in the promises? He was still dwelling on it? He talked He did. He talked to others about it, didn't he? And he even went so far as uh, to keep bringing the incident up in a way, in his own way. And he allowed it to stand between him and his friendship with this man. So they hadn't really, he hadn't forgiven, and they weren't really reconciled yet. Any other comments? Because it is awful hard when you've been hollered at or something not to share it with a colleague just to get people on your side. Yes, David? Yeah. Yeah, his apology wasn't perfect, but he was pretty pretty straight about it. Yeah. Yeah, well it was it's a, just a visual aid. Yes, speak up so we can hear you. Yes. Yeah, one of the uh, confessing is to address all the people involved. That's right. And uh, maybe that's something this little clip didn't deal with, and maybe he did at some future staff meeting or something. I don't, or he, sh hopefully he did. Hopefully but he that's would. a valid point. You've you've been paying attention. We appreciate that. That's good. Okay. Uh, just to touch on maybe kind of a side issue here. Uh, you know, the path to God's grace and our joyful freedom, uh, there are, what, seven things here, and, and they're, they're more or sometimes less, and they're not always in the same order. But, um, you know, first of all, if we're, and, and let's deal with the issue if there's a, an offense, maybe our offense. First of all, there's conviction. Then you need to have the feel, the need for repentance, which is that word metanao, the change of the mind. Uh, then there's a need for confession. Of course.
course, I believe confession, when we confess to God, he's, you know, faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us, and it's immediate. Uh, justification is the act of a moment. Sanctification, that is the change part, and the restitution uh, may take a little longer. And the details of reconciliation, but conviction, repentance, confession, and forgiveness are a clear path. But then there needs to come change. And if there's restitution needed, that needs to be done. And then um, uh, this all ties together with the four promises of forgiveness, I think. And, and our purpose today is to talk about going to be reconciled to your brother. And the question could be asked, uh, when do we extend forgiveness? You know, is it necessary to wait until the person comes and says they're sorry? Um, and I, I give you a couple illustrations. Uh, one we've already talked about here. When Jesus said, Father, forgive them, had, had the, the, the Jewish leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, Sadducees, the Roman soldiers for that matter, had they said they were sorry that they uh, put Christ to death on the cross? No, but Christ uh, already had the spirit of forgiveness. I think in the prodigal son, had the father already had forgiveness on his mind when he he looked down the path, hoping his wayward boy would come home. Uh, did the you know the son said he was sorry, he'd sinned against God and against you, Father, but the father was already throwing the robe and planning a party and and rejoicing that his son, who was lost, was found. And so um, another example would be Romans uh, chapter five, verses eight and nine. While and really, there's um, two texts combined into what I've quoted here. While we were still sinners, or while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. He didn't wait until we got up a petition. And it's going to take, a, you know, th three million signatures and I'll come die for you. But I got, I got to have three million people. I don't want so it'll make it worth my while. He didn't do that. Before he even knew whether even one would be saved, the plan was laid before the foundation of the world. And so... We need to cultivate the ability to forgive even before the person. They may never come and say they're sorry. They may not be in the same place spiritually where you, you think they should be to feel guilty for what they did or said or the, the attitude or the sneering remark or the off-color story or whatever. But we need to have uh, the spirit of forgiveness. Now, there is a difference between forgiveness and consequences. Um, Uh, many years ago, we were in the Glendale Church in Phoenix, and we had a very nice school, the Glenview School, and there were about 120 students, and there was a fifth and sixth grade, seventh and eighth grade, third and fourth, first and second, and a kindergarten. But there were some boys in fifth grade that were unhappy with school. They were unhappy with their parents and with everybody in general, and so these three boys ran away from home. And I soon learned about it because the, the school is on the same campus, really, with the Glendale Church. And, uh, you know, I, I was very sympathetic with the parents because they were terrified that their fifth grade boys were out there on the street somewhere. And we were all praying for them. One day went by, two days went by, three days went by. Uh, I think on about the fourth day, I don't remember exactly how many days, I was going down 43rd Avenue in Phoenix in my vehicle headed for the church, um, and I looked off across a field, and I, I saw three figures walking about a quarter mile, maybe a little more away, 
And I thought, you know, I wonder if that's those boys. And I sometimes had gone out and played on the, on the playground with the kids, and I knew these boys. One of the boys, uh, in fact, two of the boys, we were giving financial aid to keep them in church school. And uh, one of those boys is in prison, and I've gone to see him there. Uh, but I turned my car and went around, and I, I got within maybe a couple hundred yards of where they were. They didn't see me yet. In those days, I was doing a lot of jogging, and I had my tennis shoes on, so I, I approached them, and they took off. They didn't want to be found. So I started jogging, and pretty soon they saw they weren't going to run away from me. And uh, we walked along a ways, and um, we talked. I talked to them about their parents' concerns. I talked about, um, I asked them, where have you guys been staying? And they'd been staying down in a dry riverbed in some bushes. I said, where have you been getting food? And they, they finally confessed they had been shoplifting uh, to get food from uh, some of the stores, Safeway and Bayless and Bashes or whatever. And uh, I had an appointment coming up, but I wasn't sure I wanted to try to corral three boys. But I used a little psychology because I knew they were buddies. And I said, boys, I need to take you home. And I don't know if I can take all three with you, three with me, but I believe I can take Tim. And I had a hold of his arm. <laughs> and we all sat down there for a moment, talked some more, and they finally agreed to walk back to my car. And I took them uh, to our house, and uh, we called their parents, and their parents came to get them. But the three of them and I had had a conversation. I said, you know, one of the things that the Lord calls us to do is to make right what we've done wrong. And I told them a story of when I was a boy and had, uh, I don't know, five or six years old, and on Grand Avenue in Phoenix there was a, uh, a little market. My folks used to shop there, and around behind the register there was a candy rack. And I remember, uh, don't walk out on me now, I remember stealing a candy bar and that... Uh, you know, it didn't taste as good as I thought it should. And I had trouble sleeping at night because I knew I was a thief. I was going to Sabbath school, and I knew what I had done was wrong. And finally, I had such a hard time sleeping that I, I fessed up to my mom. And, you know, I had a hard-headed mom. She insisted on taking me down to that market and having me talk to the big guy behind the counter. And I was petrified. And when I, I I'm sure I, ha, I, I've stuttered, I'm sure, and I looked down, I'm sure, but I went up, I had some money, and I said, sir, I, I don't know exactly the words, but I, I stole candy, and here's some money to pay for it, and I'm sorry, would you forgive me? And there was a long pause, and then a big smile, and he said, son, I forgive you. And I remember that to this day, because that's what forgiveness is. When you're relieved, uh, released from your guilt. And I told that to these three boys. And so I went with them back to, uh, sorry. <laughs> I went back with them to the stores and I asked for the managers. And I didn't do their talking. They had to do their own talking and to make right their thievery. Uh, the fact that they were forgiven did not free them from the consequences of their actions. And that's true for us today, too. We, when we pastored in Reno, not far from here, 
in Carson City or close by there, there's a, a state prison. And there was a man there that uh, our prison ministry group in Reno at the time had witnessed to him and he had come to believe in the Adventist message and prayed and studied and uh, even ended up marrying one of the women in the church even though he never got out of prison. Uh, but he was forgiven by God's grace. But um, we went one day because they were reviewing the terms of his imprisonment, whether he was up for parole. And it uh, turns out as the panel of judges heard the appeal, they said uh, it was an election year. I don't think anyone, anybody wanted to be soft on crime. And even though there had been a lot of changes in his character, they said no, he has no right to parole. He was forgiven by God, but he still needed to deal with the consequences. That happens to us too, doesn't it, sometimes? Um, there is a time, and I've, I've written this down so I would say it the, wanna, the way I want to say it. There's a time for mercy and there's a time for consequences. Forgiveness of personal offenses in this world does not necessarily release a person from material consequences of their actions. Boy, am I glad that in heaven we do not get what we deserve in terms of even consequences because Jesus bore our consequences on the cross. We want to talk just a bit about the spirit of unforgiveness, how to overcome that. Well, yes. I thought of another uh, situation that probably sometimes it seemed like God said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, now get over it. <laughs> well, that's... It doesn't exactly work that way, does it? We need, in, a, in a confession and forgiveness situation, the Holy Spirit needs to work on both hearts, doesn't it? it can't, the one guy can't manipulate the whole thing, either whether you're the offended or the offender. Um, this matter of having a forgiven spirit, the, the clip that we showed, uh, the question is, did the guy really forgive the one that had lost his cool uh, he, he sort of said the right words, but it was quite evident by his actions that he really did not forgive. Um, we talked about this, I think, yesterday. Unforgiveness. Um, did I put this on the screen? I guess I did. Unforgiveness is a poison we drink hoping the other person will die. Um, unforgiveness can separate you from God. In Revelation 3.11, it says, Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, but let no one, that no one may take your crown. Uh, if I hold out, if I think somebody did something so terrible that I just cannot, I've had people tell me that. I don't think I can ever forgive them for this. Well, you're, you're giving yourself the worst consequence you could ever have for being a victim is to let the other person have the power over your ability to forgive. Um, because it can lead to separation from God, which Darlis talked about a moment ago. Um, in Matthew 16, verse 35, it says to the unfair, and this is a very strong statement, and it's told in the form of a, a part of a parable. Remember, Jesus said, In anger his master turned him over to the... This is where... The guy that owned a ton of money got forgiven, and he turned around and laid into a guy that owed him a small amount and threw him in jail. And when the Lord heard about that. I'm sorry to interrupt, but they tell us that there's a gray Chrysler minivan, California license plate 67XY156, and it's blocking a roadway over here that they need opened. 
If you have a gray Chrysler minivan, would you please move it? There you go. Nobody's moving, so. <laughs> okay, this statement uh, that Jesus made in, in the parable of the two that were forgiven, or one that was forgiven. In anger, his master turned him over to the jailer to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Not just the words, so, oh yeah, we're cool. But to forgive from your heart, that is your mind, the, the conscious, uh, sensitive part of your brain. Uh, yes, June. Did you hear that? Our forgetter works better the older we get. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Darla says something she's going to uh, talk about in a moment um, uh, that will deal with that. First of all, let me deal with some unrealistic expectation. You make a good point, Jim. Uh, there are unrealistic expectations that we have for sinful actions or attitudes of others. Uh, one, un, uh, and I also put this on the screen, I think, one of the unrealistic expectations is to expect the offender to earn or deserve forgiveness. You know, sometimes we like to think, well, they're worthy to be forgiven. Uh, Jesus brought forgiveness to light for us uh, before we ever, and are we ever worthy? You know, even if all of the sins that we've forgiven in the past are forgiven, we still got a part of sin in our sinful nature. And uh, we need his grace every day. And so that's an unrealistic expectation that your forgiveness should be held off until the sinner really earns or deserves. A second unrealistic expectation is to see that they get punished. You know, sometimes people... You know, the wicked, uh, you know, David didn't understand until he went into the sanctuary and he saw that, that uh, the wicked often get away and he, David, was having hardships and trials. Sometimes sinners don't get caught and don't get punished and they don't seem to get an appropriate amount of punishment at least. And sometimes we're so angry, we, we think it ought to be a death penalty offense. <laughs> um, but God in his mercy, won he, he died for that person too. We always have to remember that. He didn't just die for you. He died for the person you detest or are tempted to detest. And the third uh, unrealistic expectation is uh, demanding a guarantee that they would never repeat the offense. You know, that, that just doesn't happen. Sinners are sinners, and they're likely, if they have a vulnerability, they're likely to repeat. How many times should we forgive? Seventy times seven. Uh, Yeah, we need to think through and, and take to the Lord specifically the weakness that led me, led me to that problem to help me to... Yes. Now, from our... If you're the one that is being offended by the wrong action of someone else, we need to also connect with God in such a way that nothing they would do, 
You know, what does it say in Psalms 119, verse 165? Great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. One of my texts, one of my early ones that I memorized years ago, it just has stuck with me. Too. When we love the Lord, he can keep us from being easily offended. Like the sacrifice of Jesus for us, forgiveness can be costly. Um, your human nature may have to deny some of what it wants. When you cancel a debt, it does not just disappear. Instead, you absorb a liability someone else deserves to pay. You may be hurt and may, they may, it may be something, uh, for example, I sometimes use the illustration that if when I was uh, a kid in Phoenix and we would ride our bicycles to school seven miles to and seven miles back, uphill both ways, as they say. But um, suppose I was with a gang of boys and we stole hubcaps or we knifed some tires. And they didn't. We didn't do any of that. But I'm just. Um, but let's suppose at this time in my life, suddenly the Lord brings it to my mind. And by the way, the Holy Spirit's responsible to bring to mind the things you need to confess. Uh, don't, worry that you, don't worry that you're out of heaven because there's some secret sin that you've forgotten that God's not going to tell you. If, if you don't know, I'm not telling you. No, God's not like that. He's going to let you know. But let's suppose I'm convicted of that, and there's no way in God's big world I can find who, whose hubcap I may have stolen or whose tire I may have damned. I have had that done to me, so I know there are young people that do that sometimes. Um, there are things for which you can't make restitution, or you can't find the person when you were young and did some foolish, dumb things that you can correct. But you can still ask the Lord to forgive you and be especially good at doing the opposite in everybody that you deal with now. Um, we do absorb uh, a liability. Then we need to draw on God's love, for with him we can do all things, Philippians 2.13. Darlis? We want to touch briefly on the replacement principle, because reconciliation does take work. It doesn't just happen. But I tell you who hear me, I love your en to love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those that mistreat you. It's a text we all could look into and pray about when we're dealing with conflict. Sometimes it is difficult to stop thinking about the thing that someone has said or done that has hurt you. Sometimes it's very painful. Sometimes it's as big as somebody taking the life of your child. How would you not think about that? And so we have to find ways to replace those negative thoughts with positive thoughts and replace negative memories with positive memories. Every time you are tempted to think about or to brood on or the word ruminate comes to mind about some of these things, um, the things that someone has done to you, I suggest that you ask for God's help and deliberately pray for that person. I remember very well a situation with when my mom was a young church member and I was just a little girl that her very best friend in the church hurt her terribly. She was very unkind and it was ongoing. And my mother was struggling as a new Christian with how to deal with this. And I remember someone telling my mother to pray for this lady. And I was just about five, six years old at the time. And I remember my mother talking to me about it, how hard it was to pray for this lady. And yet, I'm here to tell you that my mother did pray for that lady. And she did find, and she shared with me as I was growing up and had similar circumstances, how it changed her thinking about this lady. And I want to share that in the last few years of my mother's life, she came to visit us 
And lo and behold, the lady who she had been so offended by moved right across from our church and came to our church, and they met each other in our church and were reconciled as friends. It was Amen. a beautiful, beautiful experience for me to be part of. But she really worked it. It was hard for her, but she did pray for this woman who had hurt her so badly, and the Lord changed her heart and her thinking. You know, we are instructed to think on all things that are true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy. Let's think about the offender in those terms. Let's think of the things about them. Everybody has a good side as well as a bad side. And everybody has something positive about them that we can put our minds on rather than thinking about the way that they've offended us. And as hard as it might be, try doing something thoughtful for them. Try reaching out to them and being helpful or kind to them. It's amazing how they will respond, but it helps your feelings toward them as well. You know, when you really stop and think about it, the positive nature of forgiveness is in the Lord's Supper, whenever we participate in the Lord's Supper. Because first of all, the Lord's Supper itself reminds us of what God did for us, even though we were sinners. But think about the foot washing and what it symbolizes. And I have seen so many instances when people that were at odds with each other have humbled themselves and come together at the foot washing. And the reconciliation that you see taking place before your eyes is beautiful. We've heard testimony after testimony about how the foot washing service has restored friendships that have been stressed through conflict. We want to talk a little bit about negotiating now because um, you're we're still talking about the need for mediation, of getting together with the person, the confrontation, a gentle, kind, and, and humble approach to another person with whom you've had a difference. Uh, the most effective way to negotiate substantive issues while preserving relationships is through co cooperative negotiation. Uh, and the passage I think I would uh, want to look at on this uh, is in Philippians 2, uh, verses 3 and 4. It says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider yourself uh, others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only on your own interests, but also on the interests of others. And that's where you, uh, you can begin to broaden your horizon uh, of, uh, of the interests and the factors that need to be considered, not only your own issues, but the issues of the person that you are getting together with. Uh, to love your neighbor as yourself. Um, uh, love is not self-seeking. You know, this is mentioned in 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. And so... Um, Negotiation can involve mediation with a mediator, whether it's a pastor, whether it's another respected and um, spiritual, fair-thinking person that's within the church. Remember we talked yesterday about problems and issues should be resolved from within the church rather than running to court or uh, to a lawyer to somehow seek an injunction or whatever. Uh, we're going to look now at what is called the pause principle which has to do with getting together with another person. And we'll go through this fairly quickly. The pause principle is really, uh, it's, it's an, an acronym for these five words, and we'll just spend a moment on each one. If you're going to be meeting with someone and you've set a time and a place where there's no interruptions, and you think through uh, the preparation you need to go through is very important. You need to have the setting right. 
You need to think about uh, what you're going to say. You need to pray earnestly that God will soften your heart and help you not to have a trigger that will react to something that they say that will only make it worse than it was before. You need to identify the issues and the interests uh, which we read about in Philippians 2, the interests not only of yours but of theirs. You need to study the Bible principles, and that's what we've been trying to cover in these four days in which we've been talking together. You may need to seek some godly counsel from someone that you respect, uh, not that you're going around telling what the offense was to lots of people to gain allies, but in confidence you could seek out some person just to uh, gain some insights. You want to think about anticipating reactions and what you will say. Plan your words. Um, and even particularly your opening remarks. Often what you say up front, you're nervous, uh, may trigger it to not be successful because you may use an if or um, you know, some of those statements that will make it not successful. Yes, darling? Well, we want to clarify, if this sounds like we're going over the same thing that we did when we talked the other day about confronting people, negotiation is usually involved when material items are involved, when there's a disagreement over something specific and concrete that you need to come to a conclusion about. Um, when you, when you uh, uh, confront someone over just how they've hurt your feelings and so forth, some of the principles are the same, but in negotiation you need to be better prepared when it comes to the concrete elements that are involved in the confrontation. And, and it may involve more people uh, than just the one. Uh, the second uh, part of the pause principle, the A, is to affirm all the relationships. And we've talked about that in what Darlis has mentioned. We need to show concern and respect and be courteous and all of those things. Um, the third uh, letter of pause is a U for understand the interests of all involved, and we've already sort of talked about that. We need to understand that an issue could be defined as an identifiable and concrete question. Uh, a position is a desirable outcome or definable perspective. And an interest could be called what motivates people and gives rise to positions. Now those may seem fine line differences, but if you're mediating, uh, you want to try to identify the, the issues and the positions that each person has and their special interests in the, what's happening in that case. Uh, the S uh, is, has to do with searching for creative solutions. And again, this parallels what you would do in a one-on-one -on -one confrontation. But you want to brainstorm. You want to um, uh, think up uh, all, all kinds of solutions of which, which may broaden the ideas and the thoughts of the two uh, or three or four or five people involved in this mediation or the negotiation for what will be the solution. And then, uh, oh, one thing I wanted to mention. Um, instead of competing for success at the expense of others, search for um, additional interests or develop ways to meet them so that everyone benefits, so it becomes a win-win. Uh, one of the illustrations we've used on this, so let's say a boy and girl are arguing over a beautiful navel orange. You know, it just makes you salivate to look at it. And uh, they are arguing about who's going to get that, and so they end up cutting it right down the middle, and so they each get half an orange. Um, but what you find out with further conversation is that she wanted the peel to make marmalade, and he just wanted to eat, e e to eat the orange. So they could have both had everything that they wanted 
They just needed to think outside the box a little bit more. The E for pause is to evaluate the options objectively, reasonably, and together, and look for ways to um, make a decision on the option that is to be told. Uh, oh yes, I didn't bring the last two up here. Then you want to lead the group into a decision of the option that is a win-win and builds the relationships. Uh, we won't use the illustration, but Daniel was very good at that in Daniel chapter 1 when he negotiated with the uh, officials of the Babylonian government for the diet that he and his three friends got involved in. What about those unreasonable people that you have to deal with, particularly when it comes to negotiating, if you have to deal with unreasonable people? And there are people out there that will not negotiate with you. Um, Romans 12:15 says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And for though, then 2 Corinthians talks about, we do not wage war as the world does, that we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We want to, we have these weapons that we can use actually to help us in dealing with people who are unreasonable. And there are going to be people that will be unreasonable and we have to take the biblical promises to help us deal with these people. Um, we have the divine weapons that we have though are that Romans 12:14 tells us if we that he will bless those that we should bless those that curse us and do not curse in return. We have really good counsel on how to deal with them. So if somebody comes and they are just letting you have it verbally we have promises that can help us control our tongue because it certainly doesn't help anything if we get into a verbal battle with them. We are told that we should seek godly advisors. And that, of course, God has promised that has all kinds of promises for wisdom that we can claim those promises and seek people who will be godly advisors to help us in dealing with difficult personalities. And we just need to keep on doing what is right. We don't want to be pulled into their mindset, into the way that they're dealing with us. But we have to recognize our limits. And this is important. This is one that's very difficult for all of us. We have to recognize that we're not Superman and we cannot force the will of other people. Ralph mentioned a lady the other day. And that dear lady was unhappy with Ralph and I in one of our churches. We never did find out what made her unhappy. And we tried everything we could to reach out to her. We did nice things for her. We especially reached out on Sabbaths. And Ralph even arranged to go with a mediator and spend time with her. And it was very hard because my precious husband up to that point always felt that if you claimed the blame, that you could make peace with anyone. And he had been extremely successful in his ministry in doing that. And he agonized over the fact that he could not find a way to get this woman to forgive him. And ultimately, we had to accept that we did everything we possibly could. We remained open to her, but we had to move on and release her to God because you cannot force people to forgive you. We knew we had done everything we possibly could. We had prayed earnestly. We had sought counsel. We had sought the Lord in this. And in the end, she never did forgive us, but we could be at peace because we knew it was between her and God. It was no longer between her and us from our point of view. And so there will be those rare cases. And remember number eight was allow of the eights. 
allow time because sometimes over a period of time other people and other events will bring them to a point where they will come and be willing to negotiate with you or to allow you to reach a cons some kind of reconciliation. Unfortunately, it never happened with this lady, and we just f have always, it's been a burden on our hearts. But we have found in our ministry since that time that on rare occasions, there are people that will not forgive you, and you cannot force them to forgive you. And you have to do the best you can and then release them to the Lord. Remember, the ultimate weapon, though, is love. God gave us that weapon, and we should always love and treat one another with the same love that Christ loved us. We have another clip that we want to show you, and um, it'll come up here in just a moment. It is uh, one that is entitled, Where is Your Conflict? And it's uh, the it's second fine. one that we wanted to, where did my cursor go? It's here somewhere. There it is. Okay. Uh, we'll have a brief talk about it after it's over. kind of like that because it had on it a lot of the there was a previous one that we didn't like because it was too negative we thought but we thought this had a lot of the verbiage that are appropriate for us to use in restoring relationships ultimately Christ is our perfect example in Christ alone that's our theme this week we can face the fires of resistance criticism bitterness and negative argument as we step out in faith to be ministers of reconciliation in this world of conflict, we can also taste the joy of resolving conflicts and restored relationships in God's love. Do you believe that? Uh, it's very important that we uh, take that step of faith 
you know, Jesus went about doing good, and, and in uh, we want to kind of come to the close here with the two statements. Doing good as a peacemaker can protect you from your own bitterness and resentment. As you think about solutions and positive things about other people and look for, look for the good. Um, years ago, we watched the film Pollyanna. Probably everybody here is old enough to have seen that. But if you look for the good, you'll find it, the preacher in that story said. And we do need to look, as Darlis mentioned. Second point here is doing good as an agent of peace also can help to bring other people to Jesus and for them to know the joy of forgiveness and freedom from the spirit of unforgiveness and the spirit of bitterness. Um, I'm grateful that God wants us to be those kinds of ambassadors for Christ and uh, ministers of reconciliation. We have one more clip we want to show you. And um, you have to watch it kind of carefully. Uh, we, we think it was put together rather well. It's entitled um, Perspective, and we'll show this to you now. The conflicts that rage all around us can't be solved by the cross. And I do not believe I will find peace in my own life. My problems are too big for Jesus. I refuse to believe that churches can be reconciled and come to live in peace. But it's because of God we fight and quarrel. It's happening all around the world. It's what happened in Northern Ireland. Yeah, it's what happened in my church. Can people who hate each other ever come to be reconciled? The gospel doesn't change things. Only a fool believes the reckless promise of God that there's real hope in this broken world. This is what I believe. Listen. This is what I believe, that there's real hope in this broken world. The reckless promise of God. Only a fool believes the gospel doesn't change things. Can people who hate each other ever come to be reconciled? Yes, that's what happened in my church. It's what happened in Northern Ireland. It's happening all around the world. We fight and quarrel, but it's because of God. Churches can be reconciled and come to live in peace. I refuse to believe that my problems are too big for Jesus. I will find peace in my own life. And I do not believe the conflicts that rage all around us can't be solved by the cross. That was rather well written, wasn't it, to turn it around in the, in the rewrite. Uh, one last statement. Whatever you do as you walk out of this tent and you face the conflicts that Undoubtedly, we all have um, such things. And sometimes when that people walk out of a meeting where they hear stuff, they, their knees smite together and they go home and watch television instead of dealing with the answers. But I want to encourage you to be of good courage. If you are not always successful, and we were told this as we got into this mediation business, if you're not always successful at reaching a peaceful reconciliation after your very best efforts, 
Uh, do not be discouraged. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit could not reconcile with a third of the angels in heaven to this day. Was it because God had no power? No, because he would not force the will. Um, our loving God will not use force. And though he wants all to be saved, he allows each person to make an informed choice. And so we want to close with prayer. I think it's about that time. We want to thank you for coming and sharing with us four or five hours of time to talk about reconciliation and peacemaking and being ambassadors for Christ and that we are called to be ministers of reconciliation. Charles? We want you to know that we're going to be praying for you. We know that in a crowd this size that there are conflicts. There are conflicts in homes, in relationships, in churches. And we're going to be praying for you as you take these principles and prayerfully put them into practice because we know God can bring peace and he'll be glorified because of the work and the effort that you're going to put forward. If you look at the Slippery Slope brochure, in case you haven't noticed it, on the back, on the bottom, it has, I think, a phone number and an address, perhaps a web page. This organization, if you go to their web page, you'll see a lot of other materials. You might want to order some. They're not terribly pricey. Uh, there is a workbook that covers some of this material. Some of ours is collected from different places, but a lot of it's in there. And you may want to get deeper into this so that you can equip yourself to be a peacemaker actively in your church or maybe in your family. And so let's, let's bow together as, as we pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for each one that is here. Thank you for the wonderful principles that are in God's Word. In Matthew 18 and in the Sermon on the Mount and the writings of Paul and throughout the Scripture that admonish us to be, live at peace, if at all possible, with all men, all women. And, uh, oh Lord, I pray that you will be with each one as, as we leave this place, that the thoughts and the attitudes and the spiritual insights will dwell within us and bring them to our mind through your Holy Spirit so that they can uh, gradually and more rapidly be incorporated into our very characters so that we can reflect the character of Jesus who loves sinners and came to make peace, to reconcile us unto himself. Help us to be a part of Christ's ministry in this way. In Jesus' name, amen.